Leonard Lopate at Large on WBAI New York 99.5 FM and streaming live at WBAI.org. I'm Leonard Lopate. Most of our area is still covered with snow, so it's likely to be a while before we can return to gardening outdoors. But what's best to grow inside our homes and apartments this time of year? Joining us now with some winter gardening tips is Pete Morosky, an environmentalist and nurseryman and the owner of Native Landscapes and Garden Center in Pauling, New York, a regular contributor to our show. And we would love to hear from you. So call us with your winter gardening questions at 212-207-2877. That's 212-207-2877. Yes. 212-209-2877. Oh. Oops, I messed up. It's 212-209-2877. Please don't call that other number. Again, 212-209-2877. Or you can email your questions to me at leonardlopate at wbai.org. Hello, Pete. Welcome back to our show. Oh, thank you, Leonard, and it's great to be back. In in light of the weather, it feels a bit strange to be talking about gardening. Uh, this winter, uh, unseasonably warm days have been followed by extremely cold days. Does that have much of an impact on plants? Oh, it sure does, Leonard. And as you said, the weather is all over the place. We're living in a time of extremes. And I'll give you some examples. Uh, we talked about this last time when last summer we had uh, extreme drought conditions followed by two tropical storms. And then toward the tail end of the summer, we had a very hard frost in mid to late September, temperatures down in the 20s, which really triggered the fall foliage uh, this fall. So we had a great fall foliage. I mean, if you remember, it looked a lot like Vermont around here in September. And then it got warm again uh, through late September into October, and then late October, once again, it got extremely cold. So now, then uh, the second part of the fall foliage kicked in. And then once again, in November, it got warm again. And then in December, it got cold again. And we had the first of our, I'm going to call them mega snowstorms for this area. We had anywhere between one to two feet of snow come down uh, in, in mid-December, just before Christmas, if you remember. And then uh, Christmas, we had that wicked windstorm that took a lot of power out on Christmas Eve and Christmas Day, which was a horror story for many. And then, you know, January was a little of nothing, very mild, you know, very anticlimactic, no real storms. And then February, bam, uh, one of the biggest storms ever to hit the area. I mean, parts of New Jersey got uh, 30 inches of snow. Uh, up here in the Hudson Valley, we got one to two feet of snow. And it was an interesting scenario that developed because it snowed literally for three days earlier this week. I mean, we had a storm come off the coast of Virginia, uh, intensify as a nor'easter, but had nowhere to go because there was a big high pressure blocking the direction it wanted to travel. So it just sat and spin and just kicked sn uh, uh, more snow and more snow and wind in our area and, uh, and created a real record snow. Now, who knows what's next? But... You know, the West More Coast. snow, actually. I, at least uh, in in my area, snow uh, is predicted for tomorrow morning, and then sunshine on Saturday, and then more snow on Sunday, and then 
a cloudy day on Monday and then more snow on Tuesday and Wednesday. Well, <laughs> it's that's right. Incredible. I just got, you know, some of the more recent odds just came in and some of the more recent forecasts. Now, once again, our topsy-turvy weather, a lot of the snow that is forecasted for tomorrow may now be rain. And then, uh, and then it's going to get really cold next week uh, with more snow. But uh, as you know, it's not, any, not only us here on the East Coast that's, that are getting these uh, real weather swings. It's also happening out on the West Coast. And if we all remember, the West Coast had a horrible summer with fires. It was a record-breaking fire summer where, you know, there were more fires and more acres burned than ever before. Um, and then the rains came in just two weeks ago, and that three- to five-year drought was erased in three to five days where 10 to 15 inches of rain hit the, coast, hit the West Coast and up to 15 feet of snow in the Sierra. Uh, you know, mm. Mammoth Mountain, places like that, got uh, epic amounts of snow, and even scenic Route 1 along the coast uh, uh, fell into the Pacific in, in, in a place or two. So. You know, this, these weather changes uh, are happening, seem to be getting accelerated here. Um, and each decade, I can remember growing up as a kid on Long Island, each decade has gotten warmer since the 1970s. You know, I remember as a kid, uh, I used to do a lot of hiking down there, and we were at Hexer State Park one time back in the 60s, and I can remember looking across the Great South Bay over to Fire Island, and that whole bay had ice on it. Now, when was the last time that ever happened, where ice forms on salt water and is able to even work mm. through the tides? So this extreme weather tells an interesting story. Our, our climate is t changing and getting much warmer, okay? And so what does that mean? In a decade or so, we'll be able to plant palm trees in New York City? <laughs> Who knows? You know, but there's, you know, I, I read a lot on this, and, and, you know, there's a new theory starting to emerge out in a few climatological meteorology labs, and that is uh, it, it's all about short-term warm followed by long-term cold, but it's just a theory, and we'll see what happens. <laughs> okay, well, getting back to what we discussed on this show, should people who do outdoor gardening just wait until things warm up later this month? Well, there's a few things we can do now, even though it's very cold outside. I mean, if you step outside today, it's just a beautiful, bright, sunny day, and the first one we've had in a very long time. So now's the day you want to get out with your broom and start sweeping a lot of the heavy one to two feet of snow that fell on your shrubs before some of the branches start to break. Uh, heavy snow creates a real problem with a lot of trees and shrubs, especially, especially if it's left on there. Uh, for a long period of time because that constant weight tends to work on the, uh, on, on the weak crotches and, and breaks a lot of trees. But also, snow is a great insulator, okay, and it also helps with ground temperatures. You know, if you get heavy snow like we've had, uh, you know, this winter and it stays on the ground for most of the winter, you don't get those temperature fluctuations that you get ordinarily when we don't get a lot of snow because we'll still get zero-degree weather and the ground will freeze down to one to two feet but if there's snow on the ground, it'll be a, a, a quick thaw. And they also say, uh, you know, some of the old farmers will tell you that snow is a poor man's fertilizer. Okay, as it falls, it, it, it takes a lot of the particulate matter uh, from the atmosphere and puts it into the ground when the snow melts. And that's one of the reasons why the sky looks so crystal clear after a snowstorm, because 
it's it's literally cleaning the atmosphere as it comes down. But now is the time to prune. Uh, you know, Mother Nature is going to start pruning a little bit on her own. Uh, and, but when the snow melts, you know, don't be afraid to get out there and shape the trees and shrubs and prepare uh, for this spring's growth, which is only a, a couple months down the road. But it's still also a very good time to think about indoor gardening, whether we live in apartments or have an outdoor garden. What are some of the basic questions that we need to answer when we're preparing to purchase and grow indoor plants? Well, Leonard, you, you want to take a good hard look at, you know, what type of apartment you have, what is your exposure, is it, it, do you have baseboard hot water, uh, hot heat, hot water heat, which is a very dry heat. Remember, uh, our indoor of our house turns into a desert in the wintertime. So, you know, unless you've got desert-type plants growing in your house, you need to figure out a way to keep them alive in the wintertime. Um, you know, humidity is important. Uh, any kind of plant, you know, group plants together, you know, figure out how much you want to spend on these plants. I mean, there's a lot of questions to answer before we dive into what type of plants work well inside our home. Should we be looking for plants that are permanent or ones that will just be temporary? Well, like the plants that come from, from bulbs. Right. You know, this time of year and through the holidays, you know, many people purchase paper white narcissus, which is in the daffodil family, and they like to have them around the holidays in the middle of the winter because it makes the, you know, they got a very strong uh, aromatic pollinator smell. So that makes the whole house smell like, like spring. Um, this time of year, and what I do, <laughs> excuse me, and what a lot of other gardeners do is we'll force bulbs crocuses, daffodils, tulips, and we'll put them in the refrigerator and we'll take them out about now and put them in, in a warm spot of, of our dining room and kitchen and we're forcing the plants to think that it's spring. And by the time Easter rolls around, you got some beautiful Easter flowers in the house. You know, the same thing is true with poinsettia, poinsettias. When, you, uh, you know, they're a temporary plant. My very, you know, I've seen people... Uh, they're able to keep these plants alive uh, through uh, the season. But, you know, it's either that or, you know, some of the tropical green foliage plants. I personally like to make a lot of changes in my house when it comes to plants. So I'm always bringing plants in, uh, taking them away, trying this here, trying that there. I mean, I got a few staples uh, plants uh, that grow uh, pretty well in my, in, in my particular house. But, you know, it all depends on your personal preference and how much time you have to care for these plants. Should we be aware of where the plants come from originally? You mentioned poinsettias. Uh, they're from Mexico uh, originally. In fact, brought out of Mexico by, as, as I understand it correctly, a British consul named Poinsett. Uh, so does it matter that they were originally Mexican? Um, yes and no. You know, you know, you always want to try to mimic the natural environment that this plant comes from. You know, for instance, like you said with the poinsettia, you, you, it's, it's, a, it's a Mexican desert type plant. So what it's acclimated to and what it grows best in are warm, sunny days and cool nights. That's what the desert brings. And the reason that the leaves or the leaf bracts turn color that's created by the change of seasons. And uh, as 
the season get, as, as the daylight gets shorter, uh, the poinsettia starts to um, you know turn into its color. So um, yes, it does matter where you put it in the house, and you want to try to mimic that desert-type environment. And a lot of our houses are desert-like in the wintertime, and that's why poinsettias do so well inside our homes. I want to remind our listeners that they're invited to join this conversation by calling 212-209-2877. That's 212-209-2877. Or you can email your questions uh, to me at leonardlopate at wbai.org. Well, since many of us will continue to be housebound for a while, should we be less concerned about how long it may take to maintain the indoor plants? Well, uh, yes, and I'll tell you why, because, you know, this may not be your type of, um, you know, it may not be something that you enjoy doing. If you want to, for instance, if you want a plant just to look good all the time with very little care, uh, cactus might be the way to go. Um, if you're uh, into it and, 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 and you, you know, like, like some of us are, and, and you want to, you know, play around a little bit. I, I enjoy even, you know, playing with uh, bonsai in the house, you know, jades. And there are many other type of plants that bonsai very easily. Um, so you could, uh, you know, you could prune them and work them into different shapes and forms and put them on the sill and make them look like they grow out of a craggly rock up in the <laughs> middle of the Andes on, 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 on the tree, at the tree line where a lot of these, bonsais uh, were first found and um you know uh, enjoy them and and watch them change and 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 change their shape and you know you can really uh, make plants do a lot of wonderful things uh, just by pruning and and putting them in in the right location well the right location which would involve uh, exposure shade or sun natural or artificial light and the type of heating that we have that's exactly right, Leonard. All, all these variables need to be put into consideration, and, and you might want to make a little list so that when you eventually decide that it's time to get some indoor plants for the house, that you have kind of a, an outline of what type of conditions your house offers so that when you go to the greenhouse or the garden center looking for plants, you can give uh, the experts uh, your conditions, and they can lead you to plants that'll thrive uh, in your home. Remember, the right plant in the right location is going to give you a lot of pleasure. The wrong plant in the wrong location is going to give you a lot of heartache. (laughs) My guest on today's Leonard Lopate at Large here on WBAI New York 99.5 FM and streaming live at WBAI.org is Pete Morosky, who is an environmentalist and a nurseryman and the owner of Native Landscapes and Garden Center in Pauling, New York. And as I... uh, have said we are inviting you to join this conversation. If you have any questions about gardening, indoor, outdoor, or what's to come, uh, the number is 212-209-2877. That's 212-209-2877. Or you can email your questions to me at leonardlopate at wbai.org. I don't know if we're getting any calls right now, but uh, let's... uh, Let's talk about some other issues that might be of concern. Uh, is there a concern that some indoor plants may introduce diseases or pests into our house? 
Yes. Um, you know, one of the things that you really need to do when uh, you're going to the greenhouse picking out plants, and, you know, one of the things that I do, because my eyes aren't what they were uh, a while ago, is I bring a magnifying glass. Because a lot of these pests hide on the stems and under leaves, and you want to make sure that you're bringing home something very clean. Because if you're not, you can contaminate all your indoor plants, and uh, that's a horrible, horrible thing to do. So go to the greenhouse, bring your, you know, spend a little time, give yourself a couple hours, and, you know, inspect these plants with the magnifying glass. Go under the leaves, check the soil, you know, make sure that things get a good color, make sure they don't look chlorotic looking, make sure they look very healthy, and pick the winners uh, for your house because you deserve it. Uh-huh. Well, and uh, the, there are diseases that we can also bring in with plants? I'm sorry, I couldn't hear that, Leonard. There are also diseases that we might be bringing in with some plants? Oh, yeah. You know, there's a lot of funguses. Uh, there's a lot of diseases that thrive in the soil. You know, um, for instance, uh, if, if for some reason you get a, a plant disease, you know, the best thing to do is just clean house. In other words, repot the plant, new soil, you know, treat the plant with a environmentally friendly type of treatment, um, you know, so, uh, um, soaps, oils. You know, I'm not a big fan of pesticides in the home because especially this time of year, you start spraying pesticides that are a little bit tough on you and they tend to stay in the house because there's not a lot of ventilation in the house this time of year. What a lot of people do and what you can do is if you've got a real sophisticated uh, garden center, um, a lot of people will treat the plants for you. They have sections of their greenhouse that are uh, plant hospitals, and they will, if the infestation isn't bad and they feel that it's not going to, uh, you know, transfer in, 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 into a lot of their stock, they'll bring it, you can bring it to them, and they can, like a plant hospital, they can treat the plant, and, and when it's uh, pest or insect-free, uh, they'll bring it back to you. You know, I've heard of, people creating like little greenhouses around each plant and treating the air around each plant so that you get rid of the, whether it's mealy bug, um, you know, any kind of suckling bug scale this time of year, you know, with oils. You can even wipe down a lot of plants, you know, a lot, a lot of plants, you know, you can get rid of a lot of uh, insects and bugs just by misting plants, which is also a very good idea this time of year. Now, could you uh, mist them with a little bit of soapy water? You can, and then wipe it down with some clean yeah. water. Um, you know that's 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 that that's that's a great thing. You know, to, to get you know acclimated into doing when it comes to, to your inside plants. But you know, you know one of the big problems, Leonard, I want to address because it seems that uh, we, we when you know in the past when we've had callers talk about indoor plants, it seems like the number one thing that is killing indoor plants is basically people overwatering. I think, I think we need to understand that plants go through a dormant period this time of year, just like our trees and shrubs and perennials do outside. Many plants do anyway. You know, there's a cycle plants uh, run by, uh, and it depends on the type of plant, on what type of cycle that is. You know, for instance, like cyclamen, you know, that'll flower and grow for months, but then it needs to rest. And when it rests, it doesn't necessarily mean it's dying. A lot of people will throw the plant out and think it's dead, but... No, it's just going through a dormant period, and it'll be back in two or three months, bigger and better than ever. So 
<clears throat> excuse me, it's very important to know the cycle of your plant that you're bringing in so that, you know, this time of year, one of the lot of the indoor plants goes semi-dormant. You don't want to overwater it because that'll kill it faster than anything. You know, you want to let the plant dry out a little bit and, um, and, 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 and go through its cycle. And, and that's the best way to understand and know, you know, how these plants perform even in the winter during their off-season. Should we take some calls? Let's uh, take a call. BAI, you're on the air. Hello? Am I on? Hello? Hello? Hi, can you speak up a bit? Hello, can you hear me? Now I can, better. Oh, great, great. Uh, I was interested in growing um, uh, herbs. Uh, herbs, yeah. Oh, sprouts. Sprouts, you know, for nutrition. What about that? Pete, can you hear her? No, I can't, Leonard. You're going to have to repeat the question. I can't hear she, her at all. She, she's interested in growing things for nutrition, herbs, and what was the other thing? And sprouts. And sprouts. So right. what kind, for the sprouts, what, what do you start with to get, you know, get... She, she wants to know how, how you start. Well, what, you know, there's, there's great, um, you can go to a local garden center and buy a sprout kit. And basically what it comes with is the seeds and the soil, and they give you great instructions, and all you need is a sunny window and, you know, set the sprout kit up, water it, and, uh, you know, that, that these sprout kits are just, uh, you know, they're, they're, they're very easy and they're very simple to work. And, um, you know, many of your greenhouses have them this time of year. And herbs, you just put them in the window, don't you? That's right. You know, you, once again, you go to the greenhouse, a lot of the greenhouse herbs are already, uh, you know, already growing, or uh, now's the time, if you wanted to try it in the spring, you know, we call it a kitchen garden, where you got herbs and sprouts and even some vegetables growing right outside uh, the kitchen garden, and you can start a lot of these from seed, and it's always fun to watch uh, herbs and vegetables grow from seed, uh, you know, right outside uh, your kitchen window. So you're saying plant them now? No, uh, grab the seeds now, and uh, in a couple of weeks, you can start them inside and get a head start in trays. And then <clears throat> when, frost, uh, when, the, when, the, when frost is all done uh, back in, you know, in, in late April into May, that's when you plant them outside. But you can always start them in the house if you got room. Caller, you, you had something else? Yeah, is there a rule about how much you take off the, off the plant? Um, like one third or no more than twenty percent when you are harvesting, you know, taking it off so you can eat it. Well, was the I couldn't hear her, Leonard. She she's wondering about harvesting those plants. Are there rules? You take off twenty percent, a third, yeah, without uh, killing it, the a plant. A lot of it depends on how robust the plant is. You know, uh, many you know many herbs will will grow very uh, you know robustly. And you can take out 10, 15, 20, 30 percent of the plant and, and keep it misted and watered, you know, with a little bit of uh, organic potting soil uh, with uh, natural fertilizer in it, and it'll bounce right back. Um, I mean, I, last year in the garden center here, we had broccoli growing all summer in the garden center, and I would just go out there every two or three days and lop off about six or ten heads and 
two or three later, two or three days later, there were six to ten more growing. You know, it's uh, mm. it, 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 you know some things if, if they're in the right location will will will, will give you uh, vegetables and 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 herbs uh, all summer. Thank you so much for your call. Let's take another call. BAI, you're on the air. Hello. BAI, you're on the air. Hello. Yeah, hi. Hello. Yes, you're, the, you're on the air. Every January for many years, maybe five, I have a charming experience buying primroses from the supermarket. And they bloom. Honestly, I had at least one or two last year blooming until March. Blooming uh, well. And they're only a little four-inch pot. They cost about a dollar and a half each. <laughs> and uh, I do this thing where I chop off the inside pot and then put dirt under it. You make sure you keep them watered uh, because they grow quickly. They keep spinning out these flowers. The yellow I've been able to plant in the garden and they're the only color that come back. But there are wonderful pinks, particularly, and every year it's been a delight. Well, primrose are one of my favorite perennials. And as you said, um, I know people that have had luck planting many different colors of primrose in the garden. And, you know, they need a lot of insulation because they're marginally hardy by us. But it sounds like you found uh, a good source for plants you like, and uh, I wouldn't change. I would stay right there and grab a few more and keep experimenting with planting them outside and try to find a spot that's south-facing uh, uh -huh. on your property that, um, that doesn't have that cold, biting north wind, and, and you may, able to get, may be able to get uh, many uh -huh. other colors. Uh, but what happens if you don't ha own a house? Uh, do you just put it outside the window? Yes, you can put it outside a window or in a container. Or in, in, a, in a container outside, and um, mm. you know, uh, work it. Uh, you know, work it that way. Happy, productive little plant. Yes, they Thank are, you. and uh, there's, 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 it's a beautiful flower. I mean, the flower is just, mm -hmm. you know, mm -hmm. it's just a, a magnificent-looking little flower. <laughs> By the way, it's Pete, the garden man. Yeah, Pete Morosky, M-U-R-O-S-K-I. Pete doesn't have deer, maybe. Pete doesn't have deer? No, you're but, right. I have a venison cookbook, so all my deer are gone. <laughs> oh, very funny. Well, if you come out here, you can have a lot more. Well, where's Where are deer? you? Where are you? New Jersey. Uh, yes. Where okay. in New Jersey, New Jersey. are you? Uh, outside of Montclair and Caldwell, New Jersey. How much snow did you get in the last three days? Uh, good foot and a half, I guess. Good for you. It's pretty yeah, out there, isn't it? It's very beautiful right now. It's sunny and bright, quiet. Go take some pictures and send them to Leonard. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you he so can, much for your call. He can see my icicles. <laughs> yes, we have icicles in my house, too. Thank he you so much for your call. With the ice. Go ahead, Pete. Hello? Yes, Pete, you said something about icicles. Yeah, you know, uh, this morning when I was out cleaning up a couple parking lots, we do a very big snow plowing thing up here in Dutchess County. 
we had some situations where I got some phone calls with icicles hanging off of people's roofs mm. and people getting very concerned because, you know, when you got days like today where at night it goes down below freezing and during the day it gets above freezing, these icicles form on the roofs and as, as soon as they drip and hit the ground because the ground is still frozen, they instantly freeze, which creates a, 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 a very dangerous situation. Now, this one young lady I was talking to, I, she, I said to her, you know, what's creating, creating these icicles? I said, uh, well, your gutters are clogged. And she looked at me and said, well, I had my gutters clean this fall. I said, well, they're not clogged with debris. They're clogged with ice. Mm. And... And, and let me tell you the nightmare story that can bring. If, if you don't get up on your roof with a roof rake and you got one to two feet of snow on your roof and, and you let that ice collect in your gutters and, and, you, and you don't let those gutters with a little bit of salt start to melt and go away, the ice in the water that, that develops during the day has nowhere to go. And where does it go? It goes right under your shingles. And that's when the problems begin. And that's when you start getting leaks inside the house. So, uh, you know, these icicles that are hanging off of your house are an indication that your gutters are not working and that you need to somehow get up there or hire a professional, because this, this is dangerous work, to remove a lot of the snow six to eight feet out from the edge of your house so that you don't start to get dripping water inside the house. This is what's happening but, but, right now with all this snow on people's roofs. But, Pete, I got a shot against shingles, so um, I guess I don't have to worry. No, uh, bad, you know, bad joke. Bad joke. A lot of times, if you, if, if, if you know, a lot of houses now are being built uh, without downspout drains and gutters. Mm -hmm. uh, they're just letting the water fall off the roof, and they're creating a three to four foot gravel drainage way around their house mm -hmm. so that the water can drain in the ground and not get stuck up in the gutters and, and in the catch basins and in, 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 in the downspout drains of your home. I have to take a little break. There are more calls coming in. Uh, please just hang on. We'll be right back. Our number 212-209-2877. This is WBAI New York 99.5 FM and streaming live at WBAI.org. Okay, we're back with Pete Morosky, environmentalist and nursery man, nursery man, owner of Native Landscapes and Garden Center in Pauling, New York. That's in Dutchess County. And as I said, we are taking your calls. Our number is 212-209-2877, or you can email a question to me at leonardlopate at wbai.org. And let's take another call. BAI, you're on the air. Hi. I have a, a question about propagation of uh, elephant leaves and geraniums. Hello? Sure, go ahead. Yes, go ahead. And I, I just one question before you answer that. When it was snowing really hard, um, I had a, on a purple sweater, and I went 
was in my window, and all these little birds came to the window. And I was wondering, were they attracted by the purple? Or is, you know, these are sparrows. And I thought it was right. weird. I've never seen that before. Because I know well, birds are Well, you attracted. know, it's time that we feel sorry for our little birds out there because they're very hungry with all this snow on the ground. I yeah, mean, well, I you know, there's, out- you know, a lot of their uh, food has been covered. You know, they depend on tall grasses and perennials that are sticking up out of the fields and meadows, and that's what they eat on a regular basis. Now, when the snow hit, a lot of their food has been buried. So, right. uh, you know, they must see something in your home that they think might be might have some nutritional value to them. you got to remember... When, uh, when birds are looking through the landscape, looking for food, a lot of the food that they like almost looks like a fluorescent light to them. They hone in on it, and, you know, especially hummingbirds and, you know, birds that really like nectar, you know, it's, 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 it's right. a real draw to them. So obviously but- there's something in your house that they want to eat. And, uh, you know, that's why they're coming so close to but the it, window. You, she, you're saying it's not her purple sweater. Um, it could be. It could be once again, Leonard. These are sparrows. So I was, uh, I had some plants near the window, but then I put peanut butter out, you know, chunky peanut butter with uh, some uh, kiwa. And uh, nobody, you know, they came up to the window, but they were afraid to go near the food. And I thought that was kind of strange. Well... Is this the first time you've ever done that, or are you, uh, you know, normally do you put out food for birds? Usually I'll throw out, I'll make a peanut butter sandwich, a couple of sandwiches, and cube it and throw it out the window. And um, I'm on the third floor, but uh, on that day, I I just felt so sorry for them. Yeah. You know? So I just uh, took some peanut butter and uh, put chunky and then put kiwa on top of it. Well, but, you know, uh, if you want to have a little fun with the birds, go down to the garden center and get yourself a nice little bird feeder and hang it somewhere on your porch, and you watch oh. how they'll come in, uh, you know, like crazy once they get comfortable with uh, with your place and, and your porch. Do you have a I cat? don't have a porch. I'm looking for a porch. But <laughs> <laughs> I don't have a She's porch. on the third floor, Pete. No, <laughs> they don't put porches on the third floor. <laughs> you can also get get a feeder that, that has little suction cups on it and stick it right to your window. Oh, that's yeah. a good idea. Mm-hmm. Okay, yeah. well, thank, thank you so much All for right. your call. I just and, want to know, how do you propagate elephant leaves? Because my plant is dying, and um, i just like to uh, continue with it. Yeah. Uh, when you say dying, what are the symptoms? Well, the... Um, there were like two, uh, I guess you call them roots or whatever, and um, out of each one, uh, two leaves came out. And then uh, one time I had five leaves, and they were like very large, and then one uh, root system died, and the other one uh, was uh, sprouting, but it was dying, so I somehow cut the opening so that the... Uh, you know, leaf that was uh, coming out would uh, live, and um, but the, uh, now it's like there's uh, something brownish on it that 
in the center of the leaves. The tips, leaves, the browning. No, not on the tips, but in uh, around in the middle of the leaves. And I thought that was weird. And then I saw something on YouTube where you take a banana and cut it up and put it in the soil or put it in water for a day or two, and then you know it heal it feeds the plant. So it sort of looked like it was uh, healing. But it's still not, um, you know, one leaf is looks very uh, brownish around the edges. So I, I was just how wondering how, how do I save it? How long have okay. you had this plant? I, I'd say about five years. How many times have you uh, transplanted it into another container? Um, uh, well, one, once. Uh, that when I saw it was dying, I well, it sounds like you have to do it again because it sounds like your soil has gotten sour, which means that well, it really doesn't have any more nutrient value. So, I, you know, I would go out and get a container that's a little bit bigger than the one you have, take that plant out of the container because it also might be root-bound, score the roots, which means take a knife to them, and open them up if it's root-bound. In other words, if all the roots are kind of swirling around the edge of the container, score the roots and then put it back in a new container with some new soil and watch what happens. Okay. Okay. Should I Thank you for your call. Yeah, so use up soil that it already has nutrients in it. I wouldn't fertilize anything. If a plant is under stress, a lot of times... It needs to come out of the stress before it'll it'll feed. Thank you again. Let's go to uh, another call. BAI, you're on the air. Hello. Hello. Yes. Uh, your guest was talking about uh, washing the leaves for insects and so forth. Yeah. Uh, another good thing to do is get the dust off the leaves also. That's right. I have, Cleaning uh, the leaves I... helps with photosynthesis, and our houses are very dusty this time of year. Yeah, I have a, a orchid. I actually use a sponge on it, and the others, are, some of the others, I take in the shower. And oh, that's a good I'm, idea. Not with me. I, I don't take them with me into the shower, but I, I shower. I give them a shower. Mm-hmm. How do you, so, how are your plants doing? Are they uh, are they thriving? Oh, are they are they hardy? Are they happy? Very happy, only because I, well, only because I happen to have a south facing window, which the uh, light, uh, light streaming in as we speak, and so everything does fantastic. Almost. Fantastic. All right, I'm going to ask you a strange question. Are you ready? Sure. What maybe, type maybe of music do you listen answer, to? Though. Hmm? Go ahead. What type of music do you listen to? Classical music. That's why your plants are doing so well. Leonard, you know ah. this. Plants love <laughs> I know it, it depends. It helps. It depends on whether you're listening to, to Mozart or Bartok, I think. Ah, well, it does me well. I know that, so... Uh, Anyway, okay, well, I didn't mean to make a joke out of it, but there are. Some no, no, studies. I agree. I agree with you. What yes. type of plants? What type of music plants like? And yeah, uh, well, know, it's, it's classical it's, music uh, winds. It's uh, uh, waves, uh, energy waves. Right? That's what sound is. That's right. right. So if you, right. if you if the plants are in tune with your uh, music, you're going to do well. Amen um, to that. Here's my other little thing. I just have one other thing I mentioned. Um, you know, un- over water you kill the roots. Underwater 
you droop the foliage. And if, it's, if you catch it in time, the foliage will use, and you water it, it will usually come back. So I, I, That's I always, exactly always, right. I always push people to underwater, you know. And that, that's, especially this time of year. Okay, well, thank you for your call. I have a bunch of questions for you, Pete, that um, haven't come up. If we have an outdoor garden, when's the best time to start seeds indoors? And what plants um, are best for that? Usually the end of February into March. A lot of it depends on when your frost-free date is. Like up, up, up by us in Dutchess County, our last frost-free uh, date is around uh, Memorial Day, the end of May. Um, you get into the city, it's the beginning of May. You start, you know, looking down into central and southern Jersey. You know, it's, it's in April. So a lot of it depends on your particular uh, climate and where you are on when you can put things outside. Usually it's sometime in May. Do you need grow lights and, and heating mats to start the plants indoors? Uh, grow lights, yes. Heating mats, maybe. You know, it all depends on how warm or cool you keep your home. You know, um, my, uh, you know ex my example is, I, you know, I keep my home pretty cool. You know, in the daytime, uh, you know, I'm up around 65, 68 degrees at night. I drop my house temperature down into the upper 50s because that's how I like to sleep. I like to sleep in a very cold environment. And I need plants that can thrive in that particular environment. It's almost like a desert-type environment in, in, in my particular house where I let it get cool at night and warm during the day. So a lot of the plants I have in my house are, 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 are thrive uh, in a desert environment. What's a cold frame, and how does that work? Well, a cold frame is, uh, is one step below a greenhouse without the heat. Uh, a cold frame uh, uh, makes our growing season, uh, adds a, a month or two to our growing season. And what a lot of people start in cold frames are cold-hardy vegetables like broccoli and spinach and, veg and carrots and vegetables like that can, that can withstand a little bit of cold uh, the end of the winter, uh, but not uh, a real hard snap cold. And... Uh, because you have this cold frame in a direct sun, and, and many people have it connected to their house on the southern side of their house, uh, you know, it tends, and, if you, and believe it or not, if you put a little ro couple rocks in the cold frame, the, those rocks will absorb the heat during the hot, warm spring or late winter days, and then those rocks uh, will re-radiate re the heat into the cold frame, and uh, that's what keeps things... Um, you know, uh, alive and well, even when it's uh, in, in the 20s outside. My guest is Pete Moroski of uh, Native Landscapes and Garden Center in Pauling, New York. And uh, this is WBAI New York, 99.5 FM, streaming live at WBAI.org. I'm Leonard Lopate. The show is Leonard Lopate at large. Uh, there are some plants that people like to grow indoors, like Pussy willows, forsythia, magnolias. Uh, when should you bring in branches to force them to bloom? You know, that's a great question, Leonard. Uh, usually um, toward the end of February into March, about a month or so before the plant is going to flower. Now, so what, soon. what happens is, you know, this time of year, the cambium in many plants are starting to run. Um, you know, because of our fickled weather, um, you know, I know a lot of people that are tapping their sugar maples already, and uh, be during these warm, 
winter days. And, you know, when it comes to forcing uh, Pussy Willows and Magnolias inside, you know, we're, we're weeks away from doing that and for Scythia. But, uh, you, know, uh, you know, I'm jumping into, uh, into this maple uh, syrup thing because I know a lot of people that have tried it, uh, that are trying it this season because, like you said, everybody's home and why not give it a shot? Um, and here's some of the recommendations I would give if you're going to go ahead and try to do that. Just remember it's 45 to 50 gallons of syrup, to, uh, to, uh, gallons of sap to one gallon of syrup. So uh, you've got to boil it down. And unless you have an outside, uh, you know, boiling shed mm-hmm. and you try to do this in your kitchen, it can be a very sticky situation. Yeah. So, Sounds like uh, you know, make sure that you've, you know, you've got plenty of ventilation uh, in, in either your house or your sugar house where you're going to do this because the early sap, Leonard, is always the best. Mm. It's that light amber. It's, it's, it tastes the best. You know, the later you collect the sap, uh, the darker it gets, and it just doesn't have that sweetness that early sap has. And another thing to think about is, um, you know, it's not only maples that you can tap. I mean, if you go up into Vermont and New Hampshire, they also tap a lot of the birch trees up there, and that sap is supposed to be very good, but very expensive. You say that container indoor gardening, more than one plant in a container with different textures, is particularly appealing. What plants work best there? Well, you know, you want to go with plants that have the same cultural requirements. So if you, you know, if you want to do, you know, a real tropical environment, uh, once again, uh, going to the greenhouse and explaining to the greenhouse that you want to create a little bit of a a container planting, you know, in and around whatever part of the house uh, you want to put it, they will direct you on plants that have the same cultural requirements. So that you're not putting, you know, a real uh, a tropical rainforest plant in, you know, with a, um, you know, a, a something that, that, that likes it really dry. So, you know, once again, you know, going to the experts on this is, is going to help you in a long way. And, Leonard, there's one other thing I want to bring up that your last, uh, your last caller reminded me of when it comes to indoor uh, gardens, and that is fish tanks. I see more and more people because they're all home. Now, fish tanks take take a lot of uh, a lot of time. Getting into fish tanks with just underwater plants, you know, a lot of times, you know, people think of fish tanks and all they think of is is fish in these tanks. But you can also get fish tanks where all you grow is is the vegetation that survived in tropical waters, and they're just as pretty as the fish. Now, growing up when I was a kid, my uncle had two fish tanks straddling each side of his fireplace in his home. And on one of the fish tanks, he had red fantail guppies. And in the other fish tank on the other side of uh, the uh, fireplace, he had a tank with blue fantail guppies. And I remember going there for the holidays. He would turn the lights off in this tank and put red lights on one tank and blue lights on the other. And all you saw were these fishes' tails swimming around the tank. And that was pretty mm-hmm. wild. Well, right. and, but if you have goldfish, are there certain things you should grow in a, in a goldfish tank because they like to eat them? Well, goldfish are, eat everything, you know. I mean, mm-hmm. uh, you know, as a, as, as a kid growing up who used to grow, I used to grow fancy 
black mollies and literally sell them to a lot of the pet shops and guppies when I was a kid. Um, you, a lot of times, uh, you know, you got to really overfeed fish sometimes in order to get some good foliage to develop uh, and, and so that the fish doesn't eat them. So that's a great question uh, that I don't have the exact answer to, but I would imagine a lot of our aquarium people do. And once again, it's all about going to the aquarium, finding the right aquarium that you want, finding the right plants that you want, and finding the fish that won't eat these plants down to the bone. It's like that no, lady said before. If you have deer we don't have yard, much more time, but I, I, I don't know if we have any more calls coming in. Um, but, okay, so... Uh, let's go over some of the basic rules for success that you sent me, uh, Alice. Don't overwater. You, you said that. Uh, and you said that um, in winter, many indoor tropical plants go through a resting period, so you should cut back on watering and then let plants dry out completely before you water them again. Expect some plants to go into a resting period or a dormant period. Uh, plants like cyclamen, mums, a gloxinia will die down for a short period of time. Uh, most plants will need extra humidity and some air movement, so misting or water trays work well. And uh, you suggest that we deal with a plant that's in trouble right away before it contaminates others, and also know when to repot. Have I left anything out? No, it seems like you got most of it covered, Leonard. Uh-huh. Are there any things you want to add to those suggestions? Uh, just, you know, when, you know, it, this can be a pricey thing to do. If you go with plants that are six to eight feet tall, it can run mm -hmm. into the hundreds of dollars. You know, my advice to everybody is consult a professional before you buy these things. Make sure they know what your environment is in your home and pick the right plant that's going to give you years of enjoyment. And uh, you sell plants. Are there certain ones that uh, have a particular appeal to people in your area? Yeah, you know, uh, I like a lot, you know, there's a lot of plants out there that literally clean the air, you know, like, like spider plants. I have hmm. a lot of spider plants hanging around the garden center here because they have an amazing ability of taking out a lot of, uh, you know, a, a lot of pollutants in the air and cleaning the air and, and, and releasing oxygen in the environment. So, you know, I, I have a situation where, you know, there's a, there's a handful of plants that I prefer, and a lot of them are, uh, you know, clean air type plants. Well, we were talking earlier about bringing branches in to force Pussy Willow, Forsythia, Magnolias to bloom. What about dogwood and, and other flowering trees? You know, uh, you can. Uh, dogwoods uh, are, are a low moisture trees, so they tend to be a tougher tree to bring in and force to open. A lot of times when it comes to dogwoods and, and low moisture trees like that, it's best to wait until the tree is just about ready to pop and flower and make a nice little arrangement in the house uh, with these buds that are just coming out and almost in full bloom. Pete, thank you so much for being on our show. It's always a pleasure having you here and learning about why my plants are dying. <laughs> Pete Morosky is an environmentalist and nurseryman, uh, the owner of Native Landscapes and Garden Center in Pauling, New York, on, on Route 22, right? That's right, Leonard, right by the Appalachian Trail. Come on up and take a hike, visit us at the Garden Center, and uh, enjoy this mountain environment. And this time of year, bring your snowshoes and your, and your skis. Thank you again.
Thank you, Leonard. Take care. And that brings us to the end of today's show. If you're new to our program and would like to hear more, you can access past shows streaming on demand at WBAI.org. We're also available as a podcast on iTunes or anywhere else that podcasts are available. And there are links to all of our past shows on our website, lettertlopateatlarge.com. Also, if you'd like to write me about any of our shows or if you just want to say hello, my email address is leonardlopate at wbai.org. Before I sign off today, I, I feel it's absolutely necessary at this point to take just a few minutes to ask for your support for this station. We're asking all of our listeners who have the means to do so to step up right now and make a contribution at whatever level you're, they're comfortable with by going online to give to WBAI.org or by calling 516-620-3602 right now to keep the unique content that we bring you on this program coming to you weekdays from 1 to 2 p.m. Because, you know, WBAI relies 100% on listener donations, and we're the only station on the New York radio dial that's entirely listener-sponsored. We don't run ads. We don't take foundation grants. It allows us to be uh, totally free to do the kind of programming that a lot of other people are constrained from doing or concerned from doing. So if you tune in regularly to Leonard Lopate at large, or even if you've just discovered our in-depth one-hour interviews, I hope you'll go online right now to give to WBAI.org or call 516-620-3602 to help keep the show in this historic station on the air. And uh, one way to do that also is to become a BAI buddy. Uh, listeners who contribute $10, $15, $20 a month, uh, and they can cancel at any time, but it's great uh, th th if we know that we're going to continue to receive that money so we can plan for the future. Um, the number, uh, if you can do that, is again 516-620-3602 or go to give to WBAI.org. But please also um, make sure that you say that you're contributing in the name of Leonard Lopate at large. And to everyone who has stepped up to support the station in the name of our show, we thank you. And I hope you'll join us again tomorrow when British American journalist Simon Winchester will discuss his latest book called Land, How the Hunger for Ownership Shaped the Modern World. We'll see you then. <laughs>